Developing overnight, what a scene in Oklahoma City. The NBA suspended its season after a player on the Utah Jazz tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah, and uh, when these people walked in the door, they didn't realize that this was going to be the case, but we've just learned from the NBA that after this game, there will be no more games for the rest of the season. The entire NBA season is suspended for the remainder of the season, at least until further notice, according to a press release. So I'm not going to lie. This is really, really weird. But we are in extraordinary times, and I'm sure unless you have been self-quarantining by accident with no access to content you know exactly what i'm talking about we are in what the world health organization and basic common sense has told us is a global pandemic covid19 has hit every part of our society whether it's politics or our healthcare system or our economy and sports and it certainly hit us hard at sportsnet as it is i'm sure you and we are going to try and provide this service for the association and our podcast as a bit of an escape for as long as we can and in the best way that we can without being disrespectful or trivial to the topics that are really important you and your family and your family's health and safety so this podcast will be here we're going to do it as often as we can and come and go as you please it's an on-demand service binge through a couple if you're super bored or if you need to just get away and think about anything else other than basketball i get it i totally get it and we'll be following your lead in that sense and so make sure to interact with us online as well amil dalich has hit us up with all these take-home kits so that thanks to technology we can record from home so you're going to continue to hear this as much as we can the quality might be a little bit different i'm currently in a room next to my sleeping son so if you hear a bit of uh, uh, don't be alarmed that's just him uh but we're going to be doing this at home based on technology and with some people who are willing to give us their free time and do it with us on this episode that is michael grange you know him well our insider around all things nba at sportsnet he was traveling with the raptors when they played utah his perspective on this is very interesting and for a broader look at how this has impacted the NBA, we're going to talk to Ryan Rucco, who is also traveling with the Brooklyn Nets, the team who has had to date the most positive tests in four, including that of Kevin Durant, who, along with Agent Zero, Rudy Gobert, has become the NBA face of coronavirus and COVID-19. This is something that we're learning is going to impact all of us continuously. It's not just the NBA players that test positive and we keep hearing more in the news is that at some point it's going to be someone you know a co-worker a family member a friend god forbid could be you and so we're going to be sensitive and talk about how that impacts the nba but also try and give you an escape on that very issue and talk about some other things tied to basketball we're going to do our best having said all that let's kick it off with our interview with sportsnet's michael Gray. Well, as I said in the intro, I just need to talk to someone, anyone other than my immediate family, although I do love them dearly. And I love the fact that I can hear this man's voice, NBA insider for Sportsnet. He's writing, he's on TV. He's not on TV right now for the foreseeable future. Anyways, Michael Grange, how are you? 
I'm good. I'm good, Donovan. It's good to hear your voice as well. And uh, I could be on TV though, because I did get my uh, my crown fixed. I uh, scared <laughs> a good proportion of my my Twitter feed by uh, posting a picture of me with uh, a missing tooth that fell out innocently over dinner. But that's been fixed. And uh, so if, if TV needs me, man, I am shiny again. Good. It's never been better. And I do not say this sarcastically to hear your voice. And I say not on TV for the foreseeable future, because I don't know if we're going to have games for the foreseeable future. You are on TV in, in archive form as, as Sportsnet Presents has now popped up uh, as a new show where we play some of our great features and your sit down with Steph Curry and his connection to our country is one of them. So make sure to, to check that out. But you talking about current actual basketball in 2020, your best guess on when or if that is going to happen again would be what? I'm just going to go with the, the model in China. And, and, you know, they were out 10 weeks. I'm talking to the Chinese Basketball Association before they even sort of made noises about trying to restart again. So if you go to last week, March 10th, 11th, 12th, I think in there is when the season was uh, suspended. So you've got mid-April, mid-May, that's roughly eight weeks. And June 1... You know, if, if, if teams are able to gather and train by June 1 and they could start something up, say, a couple of weeks after that, I think everyone would sign that card. That's uh, 12 weeks, three months. If it's sooner than that, I think we'd all be very, very happy because it means that maybe we've kind of weathered the worst uh, of this and maybe what it could potentially be has been somewhat averted. But I think that's optimistic. So I, I, I sometimes wonder even if, if 12 weeks is being optimistic. But I'll take the 12 weeks. You? Yeah, see, I like to be an optimist in general in life because, you know, it costs the same as being a pessimist. So why not look for, <laughs> for the brighter side and things? But that's normally around things that in some ways I, or in, in this case, I suppose we can control. And I, my fear in using China as a model is in the United States and Canada, our government is not modeled the way China's is. So we don't have the measures to check people's temperature as they you know, get uh, on public transit or basically weld people in their house. We don't have the authoritarian and draconian measures to make sure that this thing is under wraps. And so I fear that Italy is probably a closer model. And some say we're 10 to two weeks behind them and their cases are still spiking. So listen, I'm certainly not a uh, epidemiologist, so I'm not going to try and play one on a podcast. But when you heard Adam Silver recently, as he's starting to talk more and more publicly, talk about the, the potential scenarios, one would be, you know, returning to play at some point with fans. Another would be re returning to play without fans. Another would be a, a charity tournament of some sort just to give you know an economic bounce back and a moral bounce back to the fans. And then the other would be shutting down the entire thing. I just feel like the first three scenarios all have so many issues you'd have to troubleshoot that sadly I would be surprised if we're playing meaningful basketball before the start of the next season. Am I too negative? Oh, I couldn't say you're too negative, Donovan. I mean, I think um, there's a reason to be negative, and and uh, you know we've all 
kind of had a little bit probably too much time on our hands to uh, dive into some of the excellent work that's out there and, and you know, some pretty credible resources. And, you know, it doesn't take much to kind of convince yourself that what you're talking about is more plausible. You know, I'm just kind of hopeful, right? Like, I'm kind of hopeful that in some ways the geography of North America helps us, right? We're, we're not as maybe densely populated as certainly China in a lot of places. And, and, and I would probably assume Italy as well. So, so anyway, I mean, I think everything is on the table. That's the only thing we can be sure of. You know, the one thing I would say if I was to strike a bit of a positive note for sports fans is, or NBA fans, is in the same way that it seems that the virus is, is quite present among that population, as we've seen now, players from I think four teams have uh, have or players or staff from four teams have been have been tested uh, positive and all of that. It's also a fairly controllable population, and you know when you talk about returning to play, do are we, we going to return to play where you know teams are touring the country and playing in arenas with twenty thousand people? No, I don't think. I think we're probably a long way from that, and and my twelve weeks maybe didn't account for that. But is there a scenario where you know, you could turn the NBA into a TV show and you basically, you know, maybe you centralize in, in a particular city. You could even maybe build a temporary venue in a location. I'm talking basically a TV set. And, uh, you know, you have, you know, the players kind of quarantined in a specific area and able to be checked and referenced and, and, uh, and all of that. And, and if that all goes well, you know, then they could play games for the benefit of the TV audience. And it could be done on a very streamlined, maybe it, maybe it could be, I say this like I know, <laughs> maybe it could be done on a very streamlined type basis. And, and you know, you could get through some version of a season that way. And, you know, for the millions of people who consume the game at home versus live in, in an arena, you know, you could get some semblance of a season. That's sort of where I think you know, when I'm optimistic, I think that's where it could go. It would require a lot of creativity on the parts of the Players Association and on the part of the broadcasters and networks and, of course, the league and the players themselves. But, you know, maybe that's a way that, you know, the NBA could find a way to move forward in a way that it's an option that's not maybe as readily available to some of the other sports just because the scale of a basketball game is a lot smaller. So... You know, and that opens the door to all kinds of interesting options and potential. And and like I say, let's if we're going to operate optimistically, I mean, that's sort of where I where my imagination wanders. Well, we are starting to hear ideas like that. The big three plans to launch a three week quarantine tournament, something Chris Haynes broke on Twitter last night, where they would take 16 to 22 players and put them in the same mansion and have their daily lives captured on TV. I'm actually more interested in the the big brother, <laughs> big three, seeing you know who Rashid Wallace wants voted out of the house at any given period of time than maybe the basketball. But in terms of changing the way we do things, you mentioned China coming back to play. They're playing four games a night, each team playing four games a week, and they're basically using two venues. Uh, and, and they're trying to deal with... Uh, some of the social distancing parameters in terms of travel that way. The, the one issue is you can't really have social distancing on a basketball floor. By nature, everyone is going to be interacting. And I, you talking about new ideas just brings me to the thought of Adam Silver, who has been trying to say 
for a while that we shouldn't have any sacred cows. We should be thinking of elaborative ways to change how we do things and adapt with the way people consuming adapts in in a different way than his predecessor, David Stern, who was much more about tradition and legacy. Out of this unfortunate circumstance, do you see moving forward, if we allow ourselves to think that far, some opportunity in the NBA to do things like change its calendar or bring in a midseason tournament with a with a midseason break? Do you think there, there could be some creative ideas that come out of this? I have little doubt of that. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think Adam Silver has tried to signal very obviously that he wants to uh, embrace different ways of operating and, and you know, there was a story that came out of the Sloan conference a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, I think it was one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks who suggested maybe the NBA's schedule should shift entirely and go to, you know, get away from as far away from the NFL as possible and go from like a January or a Christmas day start uh, with a August wind up. And so your competition is really major league baseball instead of the NFL. And the problem when, as you point out, is when you're, trying to make big changes with an operation that's already, you know, quite nominally, not even nominally, is factually very successful and very profitable. There's always the the downside risk looms larger and larger. And so in a scenario like is unfolding as we all speak, um, <laughs> you know, some of those risks aren't quite as present. And then you're actually forced into because of, you know, as we said, optimistically, a, a three-month delay to even completing this season, if it's possible, to new times of the calendar, new way to deal with your playoff format, and then obviously next season, so 2020, 2021, you know, would have to be pushed back and delayed, and so kind of very organically, if you're you're into that sort of December, August type season format so changes that might have taken years to implement and with all kinds of debate and gnashing of teeth are almost necessary like you have to do this if you're going to kind of get through the next couple of years and so out of that some things will work and you know the sacred cows will be left behind and so i think from that point of view it's very exciting and and all these ideas are neat right i'm you know as much as i do like why not a play-in tournament for the playoffs, right? So if you're, if they do are able to resume play this year, it's very unlikely that anyone's going to play the last 18 games of the regular season. That seems pretty hard to imagine that you try and tack that on and, and still have a playoffs. So maybe this is the year you do a play-in tournament. And then once the playoffs begin, do, you know, do they need to be first all best of seven? Does a first round need to be best of seven? Okay, so maybe we do best of threes and things like that. And all this stuff gets tossed up in the air and some of it's by necessity. Some of it will turn out to be really exciting. And I, th- I just think generally, like so many other industries, <laughs> probably because of a massive disruption, there'll be more interest and need to embrace new ways of doing things. So yeah, my short answer would be yes, Donovan. I agree with you. You are right. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be changes. There are changes to our, our lives personally certainly professionally for both of us no question i don't know if you found this or what the moment was that you kind of realized oh yeah this is different but 
I think it was last Wednesday night in the midst of, you know, everything breaking and, and at the same time, everything in terms of sports leagues starting to be shut down, I would periodically grab my phone just out of habit to check scores. And I was like, oh, that's right. There are no scores. Like something that I had set my life to for my entire life at seven o'clock and seven thirty, there's going to be games on the East coast at 10 and 10 30 games on the West coast. There, there were none. And you wrote the story for us at Sportsnet without alter sports to pray. How do we handle these times? Sports has been something that did not shut down throughout world wars or at times natural disasters and catastrophes. And yet, although sports has helped us through some times and brought us together, sports now is one way that could make things worse. What is your read and, and what was the thought process in writing the article on how people will, can, should navigate this very turbulent situation without sports there? Well, it's amazing. In the space of a week almost, that almost feels trivial, right? Because it's kind of unfolded right. as, you know, it's, it's like every day it becomes a little bit more apparent that uh, sports is, you know, is not that important. And, and there's, they're looming ahead or some very, very big challenges, both as regards to health, and I think even more significantly, not more significantly, as significantly uh, the economy. But what we are headed to and what we're in is unprecedented in the sense of, I would argue in my lifetime, I'm in my 50s, you know, I think uh, society in, in Canada, at least, I mean, I can only speak for where I've lived, has shifted, right? Like, I mean, you know, I think we are much more church-based, faith-based culture, even 30, 40, 50 years ago. And that has, I would say, perceptively changed almost decade by decade to the point where it's almost the exception now, depending maybe on your ethnic group and all that. And in its place have come some other things, because people still have this urge to be together and to share experience. And, and sports, I think the reason it's become such a massive industry and even in my time covering it professionally, which is sort of 25 years, I mean, it's night and day to what it was, is because it's kind of infiltrated a lot of the spaces that have been left open by other experiences, uh, religious type experiences. And so, you know, so sports has become that common ground, that kind of faith thing that we all share. And I think going through uh, the Raptors championship run last year, it was never more evident. I mean, that was just a completely unique to my life experience where people could connect. And um, all of a sudden that opportunity is not there and it's probably not going to be there for a while. And, you know, it'll be fascinating to see how people manage, <laughs> you know, just on the pure habits that you were talking about. And I think it'll be really fascinating if this unfolds over a long period of time. And maybe as we talked about, like some of the other, real life issues, you know, become front and center, uh, where sports reclaims its place. And, and because, uh, maybe it comes, all comes right back and like, it's never left, but you know, depending on how disruptive some of this stuff is, maybe other things will be remain more important. The nice reprieve for me is being at home now all of the time. You know, I have a 10 month old who's 
crawling and climbing and getting into things <laughs> and has no idea that there's a global pandemic. It has not changed his mood whatsoever. Uh, you have family surrounded who are fully aware of what's going on, obviously. How have you talked to your family about what's going on? What have those conversations been like? You know, my kids are 18 and 16 and, and you know, they're... You know they're they're aware for sure they're aware. Um, obviously they you know they don't necessarily see some of the the global side of it and you know or the three hundred and sixty degree element of it. I guess I'm not sure I do either. <laughs> but um, but I guess the conversations are more about you know it's tough with teenagers like trying to convince them that you know their very important social lives are uh, need to be altered and suspended and and there's various challenges with that. And then also, you know, just kind of monitoring and because it all mostly feels pretty distant in, uh, in our community, you know, just trying to find that balance between enjoying, which is kind of a, you know, a, a, one thing this has really proven is how stupidly busy we tend to let our lives be and to enjoy a forced pause and appreciate, you know, the opportunities that provides, you know, and so sort of enjoy that appreciate that for what it is and kind of find that balance between, you know, not freaking everybody out because it's pretty easy to do. So, um, you know, but it's interesting. I mean, they're both really athletic kids and really committed to being that way. And, and all of a sudden that's kind of been moved from their daily habit and all the rest of that. So they've got first world problems, I guess we all do, but it's still an interesting process to go through. No question. It's been eye-opening to watch our NBA players, specifically the Raptors, go through it. As I've seen inside, I feel like, every single Raptors home uh, over the <laughs> last four or five days. One of the, the people I've thought of is Nick Nurse, right? And just coaches in general. They, they're control freaks in a way. They always want to have their hands in everything in, in a different way where an executive, you know, like a Bobby Webster, Masai, you kind of create and you, you think and then you can step back and watch and see how things perform. And I, I just imagine Nick Nurse, you know, just struggling with ideas and concepts that he has no idea when he's going to be able to put on the floor. And there's we're all dealing with a situation that he can't box in one for us. Like he can't figure out a way to get the NBA back and running again. The Raptors specifically as an organization we're in this interesting, weird position where this entire year seemed like extra credit. Like it was, it was like an after party from last year, but they were in this purgatory between what their future might be with, you know, some big contracts coming off the books potentially and some free agents that could be in massagery sites in, in upcoming years. Now we, we, we are in a way could be robbed of seeing, well, can Pascal Siakam be a lead player in the playoffs and how far can this group go? And what is the value of the institutional knowledge of being there and winning with guys rather than having, you know, stacked up elite talent uh, like some of the other teams? What does this do to make this conversation selfishly about the Toronto Raptors? What does this pause or abrupt halt to the season do to this franchise? I mean, let's hope that there is a season. And, uh, you know, because if it's not, I mean, I think it'll be, again, let's put it in parenthesis. We'll probably have other problems. But, yes. but um, you know, but but speaking very narrowly about as it relates to basketball, it'll be a real shame. I think the two, there's probably a, few different organizations that are fan bases that would feel robbed 
clearly the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Like, I mean, they, you know, I think they should be everyone's second favorite team, right? Like, if you can't get behind, you know, that kind of market and that kind of star, then then I'm not sure what you're looking for. But, you know, so the Bucks, obviously. Um, and depending on where your sympathies lie, right, the Lakers, they're always a bit the overdog. But um, I think with LeBron getting on in his career, like his real chances to win, like even as Superman as he is, are, you know, there's not going to be that many. And, and so, you know, to see him try and pull that off in L.A. would be, you know, kind of one more legend uh, or one more myth to add to the legend, I guess. But after that, I would argue or alongside them, it would be the Raptors because, you know, they are a team that is doing it in a way that I don't think has ever been done. I mean, we made a lot last year about them being a team winning an NBA title without a lottery pick on the roster. Well, you know, you know, and so the parallel was maybe those Pistons teams in 04, or that Pistons team in 04. But this is like an order of magnitude different. Like they have, you know, there's never been a team, I don't think, that's been this good with this little uh, pedigree on it. And they've done it. You know, I was, there was a number out there where I think seven, well, I know, seven different Raptors have scored 30 points this year. The only other team to do that is Philly. And the aggregate, but the difference being, you know, you've probably got Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and uh, Tobias Harris and, you know, some guys, you know, Al Horford, like there's four max players. You know, I guess they should score 30 points here and there. The Raptors, the aggregate draft position of the seven Raptors who scored 30 points this year is something like 48th, right? If you assign Fred Van Vliet a 61 as being an undrafted, you know, on down the line and and it's just an incredible, incredible thing. And they've done it uh, with great coaching, with great leadership. You've seen Kyle Lowry really finally, you know, in year 14, I think, of his career, have his own team. And what does Kyle Lowry's own team look like? It looks a little bit like Kyle Lowry. It looks like really tough, really smart, really, you know, no nights off, no plays off. And the result is a team that, I mean, if this team was healthy, I think they would have won 63, 64 games. They're going to win 58, 59 anyway. And I think they would have a chance to win. So, like, if you're a sports fan, like, obviously a Raptors fan, but if you're a sports fan and you don't like the way this team has kind of come back and their champion, you know, to defend their championship, I don't know why you watch sports. And so to not have see them have a chance to kind of see how far they can push it would be a real loss. It'd be a real shame. Because as you point out, I mean, this is their last dance. Like, I don't know what they're going to do with, with Fred and with Serge and with, uh, with Marcus Gasol. Kyle was a free agent. He's got one more year left on his deal. That doesn't mean he'd be back for the next season. You never know what that could, what could happen with his deal in the summer. So, uh, you know, this is really, it would be heading into, you know, some potentially big changes. So you'd love to see this group get, get their best shot at it. Yeah, and given uh, the way the NBA season started with uh, Daryl Morey tweeting and upsetting our, or some of our friends in China, and now with us potentially losing you know, a, a portion of the regular season, if not a portion of the playoffs, we don't know what the salary cap might look like uh, moving forward. Um, all of those cap questions in terms of what this team might look like tend to be fascinating, but but I suspect there's going to be lots of time to break that down and talk about that. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about it with you. Thank you so much for taking the time, Michael. Uh, stay safe. You too, Donovan. All the best to your family. Thanks. 
so great to hear Grange's voice. He just has a calming influence, and that's because he's been in the business so long and has seen so much. But even he said to us, he hasn't seen anything like this. He's still on the path, beating it down, writing stories, and is a presence on our website. He's got an interesting story about Canadian Michael Mulder, who I really feel bad for. He's on a couple 10-day contracts, eventually gets a multi-year contract with the Golden State Warriors because he played so well. So Andrew Wiggins is not the only Canadian playing with Golden State. And then, of course, the season, for now, is on a hiatus and shut down. Grange has Mulder's story. Now, the story in terms of what has happened to that Nets team We'll go to Ryan Rucco to give us some great perspective because he's someone who this has hit personally. Not only did he have to quarantine himself because he could have been in danger, but also he's got an upcoming wedding. And so all of that is certainly clouding his mind. So I want to see where his head's at. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. I'm Scott Van Pelt here at ESPN. This this astounding and unprecedented story continues to evolve. Uh, at halftime with Adrian Wojnarowski, I suggested that uh, we would speak to him soon. I had no idea that it would be this soon. He has just tweeted within the past two minutes that the NBA is suspending the season. I say that understanding that as we speak, the game in Dallas is continuing. Ryan Rucco in Dallas, the game is continuing. Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, Scott, right now, the game is continuing. There was a conference amongst officials during this last time out, but the action continues, at least for now. It seemed, based on Doris and I just, you know, perusing the tweets from Woj at the timeout, Scott, that these games tonight are going to finish, and then that's where the hiatus will start. You can see right here the reaction from Mark Cuban when he got the news looking at his phone and then he went and started to discuss it with members of the Mavericks organization on their bench. He also alerted the officials that are in charge of this game. So they are aware of that as well, Ryan. So by now you know Kevin Durant is among the four Brooklyn Nets players who tested positive for COVID-19. Of the four players, only one was exhibiting symptoms. The other three are asymptomatic. But the organization has said that not just the Nets players, but traveling party have been told to remain isolated. Now, someone you know well from his time covering and traveling with the Nets is Ryan Rucco. Well, if you're a sports fan, you know him from ESPN, or Yes Network, or DAZN, or the R2C2 podcast, Uninterrupted. Basically, if it's an American outlet that covers sports, they send him a check every two weeks. <laughs> Thankfully, he's been kind enough to spend some time with us talking to his Canadian fans. First of all, Ryan, first things first, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for that fun introduction. Um, I'm at home in my apartment uh, with my fiance, adhering to the um, 
I guess it's a little stronger than advice, um, but the uh, but the the guidance of the Nets uh, for any of us who are part of their traveling party to uh, you know self quarantine for a two week period, um, having begun with last Saturday, so about eight more days. Um, I I basically have done that since I got home though uh, from calling uh, the NBA's uh, final game that night in Dallas Wednesday. I just I basically have just been in my apartment anyway, uh, trying to be smart with the traveling I had done. Gratefully, I feel great. Um, I don't have any symptoms. And they, the Nets did tell us, like, you know, hey, monitor yourself uh, for a fever over 100.4, for a cough, um, you know, over this period of, of isolation. But really, the key period of time for symptoms would be uh, they were saying the next three to five days when they first told us. So now it would be, you know, down to one to three days. So gratefully, you know, knock on wood, hopefully it stays this way. I feel great. My fiance feels great. So just, um, you know, still being smart, of course, and, and, uh, and staying in. Well, that is the most important thing that you and your fiance feel great. It's more important than anything else we're going to talk about on this podcast. But I, I do feel bad in a weird way, and I'm sure you've seen it. Every reporter close to the league, close to the teams, as soon as they do an interview, they start almost as a defense t- attorney explaining to everyone that they're fine and, and they're okay yeah. and not, not to worry. And I just wonder for you, was there... A moment when you did worry how did you find out was it from shams or from woge or from the team and what were your initial thoughts when you heard yeah i will say i've tried to maintain a pretty calm demeanor throughout this um but when the news first broke about the nets and four nets and knowing you know that I had just been traveling with them, I definitely felt uh, a little uneasy. Um, and it was kind of like a, a jolting moment just because you're like, oh, uh, all right, that's really close. Now, at the end of the day, I think probably all of us are going to end up at most one person removed from somebody who has this at some point, right? Like it kind of feels that way. But while it's still being tracked in the way that it is, um, it definitely was a little bit freaky when I saw that news. And, you know, one of the first things I did when I saw the news was alert my crew I had been with with ESPN uh, the day after I had left the Nets. So I was with the Nets um, last Monday and Tuesday. I had flown with them to L.A., broadcasted their game in L.A., their win against the Lakers on Tuesday. And then Wednesday... I had uh, flown uh, from L.A. to Dallas to call Nuggets Mavericks that night for ESPN, which turned out to be, of course, the last uh, NBA game of the season for now, at least. And so I immediately contacted my crew. It was like, hey, just so you guys know, I feel fine. However, uh, this is what's going on with the Nets. This is what they've told us, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, just in case you guys want to be extra cautious um, and whatnot. And, and, you know, I just tried to think of anybody who I kind of been in contact with in the aftermath uh, of getting back from being with the Nets um, just to, you know, give them a heads up, even though I feel totally and completely fine, just to have them, you know, kind of make sure they're extra aware of, of what they're dealing with. And if they wanted to, you know, isolate or quarantine or, or just make sure they're keeping distance. My sister-in-law said something to me a couple of days ago. She said, we're living through a history lesson. And just proof that she's much more 
academic than I am because I was thinking to myself, we're living through a Black Mirror episode. But this entire <laughs> thing has been pretty surreal. And even before you were a part of this story, historically, with the Nets, you were literally a part of this story historically with Doris Burke when you were calling the Dallas-Denver game when the crazy scenes started to unfold. What's your recollection of that night? Which, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but it seems like a month ago now. It seems so long ago, doesn't it, man? It's so weird. Like, Doris and I went into that game already with sort of an eerie feeling because we knew that this was likely going to be the final game we would call with fans on site the way that we normally do. And so there was already sort of an eerie feeling uh, dealing with that. Anyone who's traveled over the last few weeks has known there's been an uneasy feeling. I sense that every time I was flying last week and the week before. And so we already kind of went in on guard a little bit. But when the news broke, it was, um, you know, it was like, okay, we were all waiting for that pop moment and it's here. You know, I mean, I think uh, we were all anticipating sort of a gradual decline in services and and in the way the league was consumed. But we knew if, if a player gets it, that's going to shut everything down. And eventually it will be shut down regardless because that's the way this is going. And so when it happened, it was just this jolt. And all of a sudden, you know, you shift into news mode. Um, and, you know, I, I think mine and Doris's mentality was just to calmly... Uh, have the right tone and tenor to accurately deliver the news to our audience, to make sure they knew they were going to be up to date with any other news that broke, to access the resources we had in the studio in the form of Scott Van Pelt and Adrian Warjanowski, uh, and then um, you know still dip in and out of calling action because it was taking place in front of us, but do so with the proper context and the proper feel given that there were much larger things at stake uh, that had had broken that night. So it was a definitely the most like uncertain, uh, oddly emotional night of my career, and you know one of them you know in my life for sure. And I know Doris and I were both you know we were really overwhelmed with emotion. At the end of the game, we both were getting choked up. I, and I was frankly, and I said this on the broadcast and you made note of it, I was a little bit surprised they were going to play that second game. And I'll be curious to see how that decision unfolded. The NBA did the reasonable, responsible, only thing they could do, which is suspend the season. But I was surprised initially about that ride. Yeah, I, no doubt about it. And, and obviously we'll get the actual information of how it unfolded, you know, as the evening goes on and into tomorrow morning. But I think you made the great point, Doris. Like, once the knowledge is there for these players, do they then start to say, hold on a second, right. I don't necessarily want to be a part of this, and I'm curious, you know, what role that may have played in what happened in Sacramento? Enormous respect to the players between the lines, because in this day and age, they were aware, according to Mark Cuban, of what, what was going on, and the fact that they could keep their concentration and their level of play to the degree they did, I, I was in awe of that. And I think, you know, part of the reason, uh, besides the fact Doris and I are just, you know, both uh, saps is because, like, you know, it, it's very it's just very disorienting, right, to have your routine shaken in the way that they are. And that in itself, uh, whether the stakes are, are dire or life-threatening or not, uh, just having your foundation shaken like that, I think, can throw you into um, sort of an emotional state and... That's what it did for us. And so uh, at the end of the night, we were we were overwhelmed uh, emotionally, but happy that uh, we had an incredible support team 
throughout the night, our producer Ian Gruca, our reporter Tom Rinaldi, our director Jeff Evers, who all really helped uh, to steer us through uh, the you know the stormy waters, so to speak. Well, that's a pretty A-level crew to have on a game that was going to be news-breaking with Rinaldi and his news chops. Obviously, Doris <laughs> yep. is, a, is a pro's pro. And then yourself. I just hope that you're fully aware that whenever the 30 for 30 comes out about this, that broadcast, your voice is going to be all over it. And not just what was on air. The the backhaul, raw feed, all of that stuff we're going to eventually hear. So it, you literally were, that night is one of the craziest nights in NBA history and in sports history. And your voice was a big part of it. You know, it's wild to think about, right? Because it's obviously a circumstance that none of us wants to experience. Um, but in the aftermath of it, you know, we all went to the hotel and we just had a glass of wine. And, you know, we we actually we had our chairs like six feet apart from each other. But we all were just sort of trying to put into context the history that we had just uh, witnessed and um, knowing that. It's obviously in its own unique category, but, you know, trying to think of like, what are those, you know, days and moments either in your career or in the sports universe that, you know, you just always remember exactly where you were when that news came down. And, uh, and yeah, man, it's pretty wild to think about uh, how it unfolded with us on air that night. Um, And I am so grateful that I had Doris and Tom because, they were absolutely incredible, and I think they were the perfect people to, you know, help steer through that time. And I also think, you know what, man? Like, it shows you the way we take our cue from sports as a country, right? Because I could tell you, so I'm due to get married in Italy in June. So I've been watching this closely for a while and seeing what was happening in Italy. Um and kind of like, you know, and by the way, this is not unique to me. There are a lot of people, obviously, who are doing this and seeing the way things were unfolding and knowing that eventually we'd get here. And I kept like wondering, OK, when are we going to take the leap we need to as a country to kind of get to a place where we are taking this seriously enough, where we're taking the necessary precautions and measures? And I knew eventually what it would get to because, I, you know, we all saw what it got to in Italy. And it was interesting to me that it was like when Rudy Gobert tested positive, it like woke up anybody who was asleep on this, you know, and immediately it was like, okay, no, there can't be gradual steps taken. We just need to lock down now like these, you know, the leagues need to stop. Big events need to stop because in the days before it was like, oh, you know, is South by Southwest going to happen? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, and eventually they did, but it wasn't like. Everything was being shut down, right? And and once you see the sports world shut down, it's like a cue to everyone else. Oh, okay, I need to shut down too. And it was so interesting to see the way that that domino of Gobert testing positive had such a profound impact on the way our country responded to this and handled handled not meaning defeated, but handled just meaning reacted to this. And I and I think uh, you know in the at the end of the day, I think that you know. It unfolding the way that it did probably is going to end up saving thousands and thousands of lives. I hate to break it to you. I don't think you're getting married in Italy in June. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you already paid for the stationery and put in a deposit, but one way or another, either we're not out of this in June or you're calling the NBA 
tournament final four play-in game between the Brooklyn Nets and the Charlotte Hornets. Like we were just playing basketball games, but I kind of get the sense that we're in this thing for the long haul, which actually made me think how crazy it is that, that you mentioned it. You were sitting six feet apart, drinking your wine, but at yeah. the same time, not long before that, we were having NBA players theoretically playing in games with no social distancing when you're playing man-to-man defense and fans in the stands and mascots and cheerleaders. And we were trying to do this for as long as possible when it was obvious where this was going to go. Is it crazy that Rudy Gobert times Tom Hanks in some form or fashion is what it took Agent Zero in basketball and entertainment for the rest of the world to listen to the doctors who've been talking about this for like over a month. Yeah. It, I mean, it is a, it's a, it's a little alarming, but it also speaks to kind of where we were at in society, right? And the way we um, value celebrity and the way we value sports and the cues we take, I think from both communities. And then also just the relatability of seeing people who in your mind you look at as infallible or, you know, at least, feeling like there isn't much kryptonite out there for them, right? And seeing like, oh, wait, you know, even though, hey, they'll recover, they'll be fine, they can be touched by this too. Wow, who can't, you know? And so, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a shock because I think it kind of speaks to where we're at as a society. But I do think um, it's a reminder of us needing to recalibrate, right, and where our priorities were at. And I think, you know, that when we get to the other side of this, hopefully there is um, some sort of... Um, morphing with how uh, our value system works just in general across humanity with the way that technology and instant gratification has infiltrated every aspect of our lives. And I think this has been sort of a reset for a lot of us. But in that moment, it is, I mean, it's definitely wild to think about that. Like there was nobody who was going to take the biggest leaps in a proactive manner until they were jolted into it. And it took you know, sort of the celebrity slash sports world to jolt everybody into it. Otherwise, I think there was going to be kind of a, a dipping the toe in the water rather than just diving in. Yeah, we often, you know, hear, you know, in our business, well, stick to sports, right? Politics and sports and basically every other part of our culture and sports don't really mix. And this is an example, a great case to show that it does and whether it's the nba or the nhl many local counties said yeah we kind of advise that you don't have fans in the stands and no one really listened until they were forced to now we're in this situation we're also seeing the intersection between you know government and politics and sports in this case where mayor de blasio has come out and said it's great that we're testing nba players but why are we testing NBA players when there are ill people who need tests? And Michelle Roberts, NBA PA spokesman, stood up and said, well, actually, the reason that there's a scarcity of tests is at the foot of the federal government, not the NBA teams and players. As you're seeing these conversations, these real-life conversations happen because of this pandemic, what's your reaction? I mean, I think, to your point, like, you know, you you just realize that um, – there's no industry and no person who will be impervious to what is going on here, right? Like, I mean, in general, uh, you know, I think you're right. Usually sports and politics um, are best not intersecting uh, because a lot of times 
you know, people are going to sports as their escape from everything else, right? Um, but when sports aren't even available as an escape, which they're not right now, because of the real-world events, it's impossible not to uh, evaluate, you know, them in that context and, and to obviously understand that, you know, this is the sports are, are not immune to what's going on right now. And so how does what's happening with the coronavirus, how does what's happening with the government affect the sports world? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, there are some circumstances in which it is completely and totally unavoidable to mix them. And this is one of them. You know, this is not um, this is not a, a one country issue. This is not a sports issue. You know, this is a global humanity issue. Uh, and, you know, there's a part of it that's... Um, that, you know, there's been certainly amidst the, the horror of this, there has been the beautiful silver lining of connectivity and unity and seeing the way that we are truly all in this together and sort of the unified spirit. Um, and that's a reminder, too, that there's no way to escape it. You can't act like it doesn't affect or intersect with the sports world because it intersects with every aspect of all of our worlds right now. What has your escape been? Are you working at the summer body, getting wedding ready in the home gym? Yeah. Are you are you binging things because you're, you're you're not you know getting your play sheet ready to call games right now? Yeah, yeah, I know it's so weird, man. It's like I'm so used to being on the go nonstop, and March is my busiest month every single year because I have NBA on ESPN games. I'm calling. I have a huge slate of Nets games. I normally call uh, over the course of the season somewhere around 30 Brooklyn Nets games on yes. Ian Eagle is our number one play-by-play guy. He calls around 50. Um, But March, because he's usually calling the NCAA tournament, I call the vast majority of Brooklyn Nets games. And every March, they have uh, a West Coast trip since they've moved to Barclays Center. So normally, I have uh, my NBA on ESPN plus... Uh, essentially a full slate of nets for the month. And then also I have Yankees uh, spring training during that time too. So I'm usually shuttling in and out of Tampa. Uh, And then you might throw in an occasional boxing gig on DAZN. So March is always my busiest month. And I had just been on an eight-day road trip, came back for a day, was gone for two days, came back for a day and a half, and had just started what was going to be another nine-day road trip. Um, and ended up, you know, coming home three days into that nine-day road trip. You know, it's definitely weird being home this time of year when you're used to being so busy. There's also obviously the part of you and especially the optimistic part of me that tries to see the silver lining in things that says, hey, so rarely do I get this time where I'm just at home, resting, relaxing, you know, able to develop some sort of routine uh, and, you know, just spend quality time like this with my fiance. And, And I'm seeing that as, you know, a blessing, God willing, you know, we both remain in great health and um, doing my workouts in the morning, FaceTime training with my boy, Eugene, shout out to Eugene Reynolds, doing an amazing job coming up with workouts for me to do in my apartment, been eating healthy, getting a lot of sleep, intermittent fasting, reading, started journaling a little bit. Uh, I've had different interviews like this, um, trying to come up with some different content ideas for the networks I work with. And as we start to get into that level of brainstorming and And yeah, man, just uh, doing some FaceTime dates now with our friends, Um, trying to, you know, make the most of the circumstances that we have. Definitely binge watching shows. Uh, Andrea and I, my fiance, are are deep into Homeland right now. We're almost caught up with what's going on in the latest season. So, yeah, just trying to find, uh, 
you know, find a, a way to stay entertained and active um, through these uh, weird, unusual times. I love it. Ryan Rucco getting his COVID-19 workout plan on. He's going to come through this shredded however long it lasts. Listen, I'll spoil alert. Homeland is great, but Claire Danes is not wise in her decision-making process. A lot of unforced turnovers, let's say. She's, she's just, whatever the most irrational decision in any situation is, that is what <laughs> Claire Danes' character in Homeland is about to do. Yeah, yeah, good distinction there. Because at first I was saying, wait, what is Claire Danes doing in her life? Yes, Carrie Matthewson's yes, decision-making Matthews. is the, is the, Thank you. Is the, is the decision-making you actually have issues with. Got yeah, it, Claire, got Claire it, Danes got is it. fine, Carrie Matthewson's. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually... Going into this thought, you know, what are the players' decisions going to be like? Because we know many of them have a rational confidence that they think they're unbreakable, and they are serial competitors. You know this. Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah. Whether it's cards or, you know, who has the best car, they want to compete at everything in life. And so much so, the league now has sent out a memo uh, encouraging their players to shut down the practice facilities, which were open for guys to get shots up with, with one coach or staff member. That is no longer a thing. They are told not to go out to public gyms. I'm not sure where public gyms are still even open, but we know players, they'll find a way to get shots up or in, in the worst case scenario and right now, get a run in. These guys are creatures of habit, one, but they're also creatures of competition and knowing, well, if the rest of the league is sleeping, I want to be working. You're around these guys all the time. What is this going to be like for them to literally be bunkered into their homes without basketball? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be super difficult, and it's certainly going to send some people uh, to courts outside shooting that they probably haven't you know, used in so long. I was... Uh, talking last night with one of my good friends, Sue Bird, and Sue uh, uses something called uh, the Home Court app, uh, Home Court AI, and she was like, "It's like a lifesaver right now because you know it, it allows. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of the app, but I guess it allows you to kind of have different drills or different competitions, different shooting games, etc. Um, you know that you can just do on your own, uh, connected to other people through this network and." And, you know, so she was using it outside shooting. She's like, I can't remember the last time I shot outside. You know, I mean, think about it. Professional basketball players aren't usually <laughs> shooting on the pavement, you know. Um, but in this case, you know, there's no real choice. And, and, you know, I think you bring up a good point, man, because, like, I think sometimes when there's such a focus on the money these guys make, we forget or we undervalue how – fierce that competitive fire burns and how it's a completely separate entity uh, than whatever comfort they get from the dollars they're insured. But I really, truly believe that you are going to see a ridiculous level of competition whenever sports do get back because that is what makes these people tick. I cannot tell you how many people in my business who are you know now color commentators, analysts, uh, or hosts, who I talk to, and they will lament the fact that there is nothing that can quite fill the way they got their competition when they were playing. You know? And so obviously this is, uh, for some people, you know, a, a little window into what retired life will be like, right? Uh, but for others, um, it's definitely going to 
just help them even further appreciate the competition that they have left to give. And I, I just think the vast, vast majority of these athletes are ridiculously fierce competitors who no doubt are going to be, you know, bouncing off the walls until they get their chance to be back out on the field or on the court. Well, technology and ingenuity may allow them to get shots up. That app that Sue Bird has sounds amazing. I, I want that, and I'm not a professional athlete. Technology yeah. ha- has allowed you to continue to produce out some great content, and you we'd be remiss if we don't touch on a little baseball with you since you do have the R2C2 uninterrupted podcast with your homie CC Sabathia. And naturally here in Canada, where I am in Toronto, we're excited about a guy that you're excited about, Joe Panic hit 831 this spring. Uh, Your your boy looks like he's going to be a Blue Jay. Yes, yes, he is going to be a Blue Jay. Pretty amazing, man. I mean, you know, I think he was ready for a new opportunity, and and, uh, he felt very comfortable betting on himself, knowing uh, the kind of player he is. When he was with the Mets at the end of the year, he really was productive with them. And um, what was interesting is even – so. He played basically a month every day while Robinson Cano was out and really played well. And then even uh, in the final few weeks of the season, I want to say it was like the final three weeks that Cano was back where Joe sort of had this intermittent role. He had success in that role as well. And and so I think that's good news for the Blue Jays because whether Joe is you know starting at second or short or moving around a little bit or he's coming in in a pinch hit situation – uh, he's had experience doing that now and, and shown he can do it. And when he is healthy, man, he gives such a high quality of at bat consistently. He has been one of the toughest guys to strike out in the majors over the last few seasons. Uh, he may actually be number one on that list. If he's not first, he's, he's definitely top three. And I think it's going to benefit him to not just have a change of scenery, but a change of ballpark. You know, as you know well, hitting in Toronto is a dream for hitters. Um, and hitting in San Francisco is a nightmare for hitters. And so I think uh, for Joe, just to get in uh, some more friendly confines, also to get on, uh, you know, East Coast time, which is easier for his friends like me to watch uh, and his family as well. I, I think this is going to be a really good situation. And he's also, he's done a lot in this league. He's been an all-star. He's won a gold glove. He's won a championship and been a hero in game seven. And I think he's going to, I, I know he he's told me, I've talked with him a lot throughout the spring. He's really enjoyed the role of kind of being a veteran presence now to what is a really young Blue Jays team uh, and some really young, talented Blue Jays infielders. So I actually think he's a really, really good fit with uh, the young crop of talent that Toronto's growing. You have done us a great service, my friend. Not only have you entertained us longer than really anyone could ask, but we talked pandemic, we talked basketball, uh, we talked baseball, so our friends who uh, at the at the Letters podcast got a little extra content on the Free Association podcast here at Sportsnet. And while we're living through what seems like an episode of Homeland, we talked a little Homeland as well. Thank you so much for doing this. Be safe in your homeland. And I hope, I hope, I hope you get that wedding in Italy this summer. Thank you very much, bro. I sincerely appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I do know whenever things work, um, whenever they work out, whenever it ends up being, it, it, it'll make it all that much sweeter that we've had to, to go through this ordeal. And you know what? To everyone who is listening, you know, we are beautifully connected right now and we will all get through this together and get to the other side. So stay safe and stay well. And thank you for having me. 
Thank you. Well, if you made it this far in the podcast, obviously, this content maybe, I hope, gave you a bit of a break from what's going on in our country and in the world. And we're going to continue to do this. Still find a way to talk basketball, but not be oblivious to the overlying things that are impacting all of us every day. This virus is now all across Canada with cases going up day by day, and it is in all of 50 states and considering that some say it's anywhere from two to ten times more lethal than the common flu sadly i think this is something that we're gonna have to deal with for a while but we're gonna try and do our best to deal with it right here with you on free association and i have to say i'm thankful for this platform right now i'm still creating content i'm still writing but writing at the best of times is a lonely endeavor. It, it is really lonely. You do it by yourself. You don't really know how people feel about it, how they interact with it. The thing I love about this space is not that I can hear my own voice, is that I hear your voice. After we put something out as a team here at Sportsnet, we hear back from you, whether it's the likes, the favorites, the subscribes, the shares, or the, just the tweets, either arguing with a point or agreeing and giving us your take. And we hope, despite all of this, that that doesn't change. Look for more podcasts from us in the future. Next week, I'm going to talk to two people who are going through something very similar. Danielle Michaud and Basil Kamis, who have covered the Raptors closely, and now they don't have a team to cover. Until then, take care. Take care.